0: Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. There's a lot of stars in this story, I guess I should say. There's Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, of course, and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and King Herod, and even a star becomes a star of the show but we've already talked about all of those characters. And so what might Charlie pull out of his bag of tricks this morning? Well, I'd like to take you a little bit further into the story to introduce you to one of the characters of the Christmas story. I still believe he is a part of the Christmas story. But we don't often talk about this character. His name is Simeon. And his story is actually recorded in Luke 2, just like everybody else. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 2, but it's a little bit later in the chapter. It starts in verse 25. You see, Simeon would be one of these minor characters. Perhaps he'd have his name in the fine print at the end of the movie, right? But he is a wonderful character. I believe an inspiration to us this morning because he captures the true meaning of Christmas. And that's who I'd like to talk to you about today. It's actually in your pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you'd like to see this. I'd love for you to to see the passage. Take that yellow pew Bible. If you can find one near you, it's on page 699. In fact, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have that, take it with you. We'd love to give it to you. Merry Christmas. That paperback NIV is a great study Bible, and we use it here often. But it starts in verse 25. Simeon provides us about three different statements, three different uh, points to consider. One is that he is a portrait of a faithful person. Another one is that he's going to make a, a pretty astounding proclamation of God's faithfulness. And then he's going to end his moment with Jesus making a very startling prediction. So there you have it, a portrait, a proclamation, and a prediction. So let's start with that portrait of this man a portrait of his faith in God. Verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Man, I would love to have that said of me someday. There once was a man in Walnut Creek named Charles. He was devout and righteous and a little enthusiastic at times. But he was waiting for the glorification of Jesus. The glorification and the sanctification of the world. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Boy, I hope that's what you would want to be said of you too. A portrait of this man's faith. Who was this guy? In verse 26, we we, we, we can read that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Oh, we could unpack so much in that statement. Can you imagine? Hello? Guess what, Charles? You're not going to die until you see Jesus. Ooh, really? <laughs> a guy like me could really live dangerously if I knew that was true. But what we can learn from these two verses is several things about Simeon. A little artwork I found here of the old fella holding the baby Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but... In one sense, he was righteous and devout. We read that. You can fill that in on your handout. He was waiting for something. That's very interesting. Do you remember what the phrase is? Look back at your, at your passage. He was waiting for the consolation, the consolation of Israel. Hmm. Well, that word, that consolation, consolation, in the original Greek language that Luke, Dr. Luke probably wrote this in, is paraklesis, paraklesis. Some of you may have heard that Greek word before, but it simply means encouragement. He's waiting for the encouragement of his people. He's waiting for the paraklesis of Israel. The comfort, the deliverance, the salvation, the comfort and the encouragement of his people. That's pretty cool. And he's been waiting on a promise of the Messiah, who would be that consolation, by the way. Because that promise was apparently given to him in verse 26. He's going to see the consolation of Israel. And then obviously, as we saw too, he is being led by the Holy Spirit. We're going to read that in the next couple verses too. What a way to live. Do we often consider being led by the Holy Spirit? I've tried to make that more of a habit, especially now that I've moved into ministry in this part of my life, to say, oh, Holy Spirit, guide me, teach me, show me what you want me to do right at this moment. Because I don't want to mess this up. Right, And we have a challenge every day to live led by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where it gets a little bit controversial. Some people think that he's kind of old. He's advanced in his years of life. We actually don't read that in the passage, right? But a lot of legend, a lot of tradition, a lot of folklore, a lot of people have inferred that he's probably an older gentleman. He has some life that he's lived. He has some wisdom. Verse 27 reads, moved. Once again, here, by the Holy Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And then remember, this is in Jerusalem. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, let's hold there for a second. This man was watching and waiting in Jerusalem, probably in and around the temple, for the Messiah. He's waiting for the baby, the king, to be presented. Is this him? Oh, nope, that's not him. Is this him? Oh, nope, that's not him. Is this him? Oh, that's not him. Can you imagine? Like, he goes and suddenly a, a young couple bring an eight-day-year-old baby and he leaps like John the Baptist leapt. Remember that? John the Baptist leaps inside his mother's womb when he's in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. We read that. We studied it in that first message. The miracle. The miracle of this conception. And so here we have a nice little depiction of this gentleman holding this baby. He takes the child, perhaps raises him up a little bit. I don't know, maybe Lion King, Owen. <laughs> where did that where did they get that part of this story? Hmm. I wonder where they got this. In twenty eight, Simeon takes the baby in his arms. Everybody's just waiting for me all month to do this. Can you imagine? (sighs) Takes him in his arms and praises God, and he says something very, very profound. He makes a proclamation here of God's faithfulness. He knows who this is. He holds the baby Jesus and knows who he is. Did you catch that? What did he say? Sovereign Lord. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I could die a happy man. I'm holding God's promised Messiah in my arms. I'm beholding the face of God. There's a lot of people in the world right now, even in Simeon's time, who had no idea who this child is. The emperor back in Rome, he does not have a clue. The the Jewish religious leaders in the Pharisees, they didn't even know he was born. There's people even in the city of Bethlehem, this sleepy little town. Remember Owen talking about it? They have no idea. But think about Simeon. Simeon knows exactly who this is. And he holds him in his arms and he says, I've seen your salvation, Lord. And I want to focus on that little thing. Phrase for just a second. I've seen your salvation. In 31, he says, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Huh. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. He holds Jesus and makes this proclamation of God's faithfulness to the entire world. But I want you to see this morning, Christmas Eve morning on a Sunday. Of all days, that today we'll have our festivities and we'll go to our families and we'll eat our food and we'll have this joyous occasion perhaps with people that we love. And we'll go to sleep tonight and tomorrow we'll commemorate the coming of the incarnation of God, Christmas. And I want you to hear me clearly today that salvation is not something that we get. It's not something we receive. It's not something we can do. Salvation is something... And it's someone that we can know, just like Simeon. It's not something you receive. It's someone to be, to behold. Does that catch with you this morning? That fires me up because it's not about what I do. It's about what He has done. And I will embrace Him and behold Him. Have you beheld Him this morning? To bring revelation to the Gentiles. That's you and me. Salvation is not something we do. It's someone we know. And there's a great word study in this word salvation. Okay? Greek translated, Soterian. We've talked about it before. But, Simeon. Simeon! Simeon, you're a Hebrew guy. He's a Jewish guy. He's talking Hebrew. You know what the Hebrew word is for salvation? It's Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name. For salvation, I've seen Yeshua. Where have we heard that before? Chapter one, verses in the twenties. Turn back in your Bible. Gabriel comes to Joseph. He says, "No, no, no, no! Don't dismiss her. Don't send her away. She's pregnant. Yep, and she's going to have a baby, and you're going to name him Yeshua." This. Baby dedication is like no other baby dedication I've ever been to. Because this old man walks up and grabs the baby and he knows his name already. Because he knows who he is. That's so powerful for us. Yeshua. Soterion. The deliverance of my life. And oh, I can die a happy man. Because I know Yeshua. There it is. Matthew one twenty one. she's going to give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, Hebrew, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus comes into the world at what historians will tell you is one of the darkest times of the, of the history of man. In fact, he comes at a time for us in our part of the world where we experience the darkest times of our calendar. The most darkness happening. December 20th, December 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Starting to get lighter, right? The coming of Jesus. The light of the world. What a beautiful metaphor. But the old man doesn't stop there. (laughs) Let's keep reading. He not only is a portrait of faith, and he makes this wonderful proclamation of God's faithfulness, but he makes a prediction. A prediction that is dark and is hard to read. You see, the child's father and mother, Joseph and Mary, they marveled at what he was saying about their child. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Can you imagine? Mom, Dad, you're presenting your little baby, and some dude like me walks up and says, oh, i got some things to say about your baby. And I'm like, uh, can I have my baby back, please? Thank you. (laughs) What? This child's destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. He's going to be a sign that will be spoken against. Uh, Thank you, sir. Can I have my baby back? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And he looks at Mary and he says, a sword's going to pierce your heart, your own soul, so that these thoughts and hearts would be revealed. Do you catch that this morning? Do you catch that? Oh my goodness. He just wrote the, he just wrote the history right there. Because even today, Jesus is pretty polarizing. Mention him at your holiday dinner and see what happens. Go mention his name publicly and we'll see if there's people that speak against him. Because this little baby grows up to be one of the most loved and most hated people that ever existed. You catch that this morning? We behold a baby in a manger that produces mercy by his birth. But we will watch that man grow to fulfill his destiny on earth and show us ultimate mercy on another set of wooden nails. That yes, there is a shadow that's cast over our manger this morning because this baby did not stay in the manger. This baby grows to become a martyr. Jesus grows to become a martyr for all of us. and They marvel at what He says, but He says your soul will be pierced. And I don't know this pain, but I know some of you do. Can you imagine the pain of watching your own child perish? And a sword pierces that person's soul when they watch that happen. When they experience the death of their own child. And she will experience this to reveal the hearts and the souls of men. And would we embrace Mary and her broken heartedness? Because the reason for her broken heartedness is the healing that I need for my own heart. Or not. Because do you need consolation this morning? Some of us are here today and we need that consolation. Consolation came and consolation is available. That's the message of Christmas, that there's always hope. And Simeon makes that beautiful, beautiful prediction, a beautiful, tragic prediction of the life of Jesus for you and me. Jesus' birth shows us His mercy in a manger, but His death shows us mercy on the cross. Oh, it's rich. Don't miss this. Don't miss this in the light of everything that happens to us at Christmas time, right? The commercialism, the sports events, the family gatherings, the banquets, the, the, the gatherings, all the lights and the decorations and the busyness, moms and the presents and the paper and the mess that everyone makes everywhere. Don't miss the mercy that God provides us. I found this wonderful quote I just wanted to end. Furthermore, This is Daryl Bach, an author. He says, Furthermore, having seen Jesus and knowing him, knowing who he is, Simeon's at peace. Sweet peace. And everything else in his life pales in comparison of knowing and beholding Yeshua, his salvation. He's met Jesus, and the details of the rest of his life, his resume, are simply irrelevant. Do you feel that with me this morning? I hope this Christmas reminds us of that. That if we have beheld Yeshua, the salvation of the universe, it's going to be okay. No matter what you're facing right now, no matter what hardship that you may have been through this year, there's hope. There's hope in a baby, and there's hope in His cross. To end this part of our service, I want to reintroduce perhaps an old tradition that I know this church participated in. A while back, we've gotten away from it a little bit, but I may want to just introduce this while my dear sister can still play. We not only have the blessing of this wonderful classic instrument in this room, we have a wonderful sister in Christ who knows expertly how to play it. Because it takes both of those things. The Hallelujah Chorus is a renowned masterpiece composed by a man named George Friedrich Handel. As part of his sacred cantata called... Messiah. Handel, a German-born composer, created Messiah in 1741. And the Hallelujah Chorus is the grand finale of that work. The music, which narrates the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has become one of Handel's most celebrated, enduring compositions. It's a beautiful work of art. Its popularity transcends classical music. And has made itself as a quintessential piece for festive occasions, especially during Christmas. The most iconic tradition associated with this chorus, this Hallelujah Chorus, is the practice of standing during its performance. And the legend has it that during its London premiere in 1743, King George II was so moved by this historic, majestic Hallelujah Chorus... That he stood in honor of Jesus. And then in turn, the entire audience stood in honor to follow suit. This tradition has persisted even to today, symbolizing the universal reverence that we have for Jesus. Inspired by Handel's triumphant musical creation. And it pays honor and reverence to King Jesus. We are blessed to be able to do this. God is here with us. Emmanuel. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. In fact, we are in the awe that we can find a miracle, majesty, mystery, meaning, and mercy. Yes, we find our Messiah in the manger. The United podcast is a joint ministry effort with the Walnut Creek Mennonite Church here in beautiful Holmes County, Ohio. If you live in the area or are visiting the heart of Ohio Amish country, we invite you to visit our church. We welcome you to visit and share a Sunday worshiping with us each week at 10 a.m. We offer a warm and welcoming environment where you can feel at peace and hopefully connect with God. Walnut Creek Mennonite Church is a member of the Evangelical Anabaptist Network. We seek to blend the foundational traditions of the past with an exciting vision for the future. Walnut Creek Mennonite Church, God-ordained, Christ-centered, and Spirit-led. Learn more about us at our website, wcmen.org.